I really want to impart that to people. I still wasn't 100% sure. I'm not like, this is the greatest thing ever because it, it's not my relationship with science. I know science isn't truth. It's what am I willing to accept? What's the risk-benefit ratio? That's sure. how yeah. we all physicians think we have to think that way. Welcome to Financial Sobriety, the podcast. Podcast? This conversation is all about money. Money, not in the context of so many of the other podcasts that are out there. So we're not going to talk about Roth IRAs and, and whether annuities are good or bad and how I can buy the next Tesla stock? I'm afraid not. What are we going to talk about then? We're going to talk about the three most complicated relationships people have in their life. Ooh, tell me more. The relationship people have with their money, how that affects the relationship they have with their people, and ultimately about the person looking back at them in the mirror and the relationship with themselves. So you're saying these are all tied together, these three relationships. Well, if you stick around, we'll tell you more. Dr. Rishi Menon is back with us in studio today. And man, did we have a powerful, powerful first conversation with you. Thank you so much for being vulnerable, for opening up, for dispelling the myth that doctors are impenetrable to the human experience. No, no, no. Not impenetrable, impervious. Impervious. <laughs> Ooh, even better. Yes. Impervious. It's a bigger kind of SAT word. <laughs> oh, I like it. Thank you. That's awesome. What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful that we're going to get to talk a little science. This is not anything I know. I, it's not my gig. It's not where I spend my time. And to be able to talk with someone like Rishi on this subject is it's just I'm I can't wait because it's just so important for all of us to get a better handle on what, you know, what is the science behind this. So to have this opportunity, I'm very very grateful for. Thank you. That's awesome. I am I will echo the same gratitude. I'm I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for the simplicity with how you explain things to me, and I'm grateful that we can sit here and talk about it amongst us four guys. Good stuff. So can, can he express gratitude yeah, too? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's let our guest express gratitude. <laughs> Sorry, thank you. Grateful for the same thing. Grateful to be able able to sit here and share my love of science with you guys. As always, grateful that my eyes opened up this morning. Awesome, awesome. All right. So here's the big question. I turn on one television show, and it says, "Do this. You've got to get the vaccination. Trust the science." Then I turn on another television show. Do that. And it says, don't get a vaccine because the science is wrong. And it leaves me in this place of doubting the information that's out there. There's got to be some truth in the middle. So I made a decision. I made a decision that I was going to do some homework myself. I was going to learn all that I could about the vaccinations that were at the time going through FDA trials and got the emergency approval to use on us. And you were really, really helpful with that. We, we sat down, we had a conversation, and ultimately I came to the conclusion that the vaccine made sense for me. Because the way you explained it to me and the understanding of what it was helped me see not only what I was putting in my body, but you also helped me understand science in a whole new way. I was always under this belief that science is truth, right? I believe in science, therefore it must be true. And you said something to me recently that kind of blew my mind. We were standing in a parking lot last week. Tell me what you said. Say it again. Well, science isn't truth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. 
Say that again. Science isn't truth. Huh. Coming from Dr. Menon. Coming from Dr. Menon. What do you mean by that? Well, when I look at it, and I think about how science is perceived and, and how I interact with it, I'm not a scientist. I'm, you know, I'm a clinical guy, practice medicine. I know how to read articles and journals and data. But it occurred to me that I wonder if some people, when they hear the results of the scientific experiments, think that the scientists have the truth, that the truth has been discovered, and here is the truth. Um, like, that's what science is for. And I think I need to go back to what I, when I learned science and what I thought about science, that I thought science was this machine that produced truth. And I don't think that's the case. I think science is a, it's a form of inquiry that human beings use. It's relatively new. We use it to understand our world. And it's based on some very simple concepts. We have a theory. We have a hypothesis. I have one. You have one. Uncle Bob in the living room has one. We all have these theories. Well, how do we know which theory is most accurate? Not which theory is true, but which, which theory is most accurate. And that's very relevant because sometimes we have to act on what is most accurate, not what's true, because I don't know that we'll ever know that. I don't know if that's a knowable thing. It's a philosophical debate, but what's most accurate? So science is just a method to me, and, and the way I understand it, to test different hypotheses, test different theories. It's experimentation. So the experiment is we have a theory, we test it out, we come up with a, a good way to test it, something that makes sense to us, and then we observe the results. Then we confirm or deny our theory. And oftentimes we revise our theory, and then we retest it, we prove that it's accurate again, and then we say, listen, it's, it's kind of past our scientific tests. In its greatest essence, science is just a way to reduce our uncertainty about the world. It's not to obtain certainty. That's not what science does. It reduces our uncertainty. We get closer and closer to the truth, fully knowing that maybe with the next experiment, our initial finding is more uncertain because we've come up with a better experiment. And it's not like these experiments are perfect. We're human beings trying to come up with the best way to test it. So then we, get our, we have our theory, we create the experiment, we observe the results, confirm or deny that theory, and then we test it again. And then we give it to a bunch of other scientists who are experts in that area. And you know what their job is? To take, to do with what, what we ask them to do with our results and our methods and our no, experiment? What, what's that? We ask them to try to shred it to pieces. You go in there. Disprove it. Disprove it. Disprove it. And those, that's what they're trying to do. The reviewers, the peer review process, the scientific community is asked to try to make this paper wrong, to say you didn't use the right experiment. You didn't control for enough. There's too much bias in how you selected the people that you put in this experiment or the theory you tested. Hold on. The, the, what an incredible disconnect this is. Because if, if, if you watch what the megalomedia machine is saying or what government officials are saying, they're trying to prove their science to be right. And what you're actually telling me is the experimentation process of science is I'm going to try to test a theory, and then I'm going to ask my colleagues to actually disprove it, to do whatever they to can. To try to blow it out. To try to blow it up and tell me where it's wrong. That's to that is a complete disconnect from what is being told to us through the megalomedia machine that science is all about. Because I know the minute I questioned whether I should get this vaccine or not, I was immediately labeled as somebody who doesn't believe in science. 
And that drove me crazy because I very much believe in science. Physics is one of my favorite things in the world because it explains how everything works to the best of our ability. And you're telling me something completely different. This is awesome. Oh, yeah. And physics is a great example, right? Newtonian physics isn't wrong. Like how Newton understood and explained gravity to us isn't wrong. But Einstein's theories of general relativity is more accurate. Right? That doesn't mean Newton's wrong. It just means that we have a more accurate and precise understanding of how gravity works. And then something else will come along that will refine Einstein's, or probably has come along. I'm not a physicist, but there are things. And, and if we are believing in Einstein's theory completely as the only understanding of gravity in 100 a, a years, science will have failed. Oh, wow. It's an evolution. So what you're basically, and you, you shared this with me, is that just because certain scientific quote-unquote facts or data points may have been true six months ago, our favorite megalomedia cable news network now comes out and says that, in fact, is not true. Why is it that we all of a sudden paint these scientists as evil, like it's some political conspiracy? Because that, I mean, that's what the megalomedia machine wants us to believe, is that somehow by getting the science wrong— the scientists somehow have co-conspired to try to control our behavior. And you're telling me that's not, the, that's not the case. Yeah, and I try to look at it objectively. I respect every human's experience, right? I don't have that data. Your experience is your experience. How you make decisions is totally relevant to me. It's, 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 you know, it's real. I, I, I respect it. The difference is that when I think about how I understand science and my experience with it. It's I'm, I'm okay when things change because I'm used to that. I'm used to the way I used to practice medicine being different in 10 years. I'm used to when I go into a patient room and talk to a person about their disease that, you know, I'm not 100% sure that this medicine is going to help you. If I, I think probabilistically, look, if I give it to 20 people like you, one of those people is not going to die. I don't know if that's you or if it's some of the other 19, but that's how we have to think. And that's, I'm just comfortable with that. Sure. And, and again, I don't, I don't put fault on anybody on, on how people interpret it or how the scientists are presenting it. But I do see this disconnect because as a scientist, they're used to thinking this way and, and trying to communicate that. As a person who may have a slightly different relationship with science and it's viewed as this truth machine— you say, well, okay, the scientists, just like the priests in the pulpit before we had modern science, right? We believed we're supposed to believe everything they said, and then it didn't work out, and we, you know, retaliated. I'm done listening to you. That, I mean, that's actually how modern science was born. Very religious people said, we're tired of being told about God. We're going to go find God in the objective world, and we're going to use this method of inquiry to do it. It's beautiful. There's no real disconnect between religion and science. Sci modern science is a continuation of spiritual and religious inquiry, the spiritual and religious quest. Oh, wow. I, you, and, and that's been proven to me time and time again. I mean, Amy's brother, Eric, and his wife, Merritt, are, are two of the brightest physicists I've ever met. And they very much are scientists by nature and understand physics. They're also some of the most devout people in faith that I've ever met. And so for the two of those to go hand in hand does not surprise me, because I've seen it my whole life with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of the most brilliant scientists I've known are very, very strong people of faith. And it, it does kind of make sense, because I think once you see it at that level, there's an elegance that really can't be, that, that's hard to explain by pure, rational thinking. And what is so ironic is that when it comes to the vaccine, which I know we're going to talk about, there are two exceptions by which you are allowed to go somewhere if you are not vaccinated. One of them is 
if it violates some religious belief. We have so many ironies that seem to pop up on this show, but I am completely overwhelmed at what you've just shared in terms of a way to frame science as a continuation of the spiritual quest that so many of us are on, and yet it can be the very thing that is being used to determine whether or not you you may not have gotten vaccinated due to some religious belief, which I respect that, but it happens to be one of the two things that you're allowed to do, you know, if you don't have to prove your vaccination, is it can be due to religion. Well, it, fascinating. It is fascinating. Welcome to the land of Irania. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we'll call this. There's a new word for the for the episode. So you I mean you and you shared this with me. I mean, if if you were a cardiologist fifty or sixty years ago, the way you practice cardiology has most certainly evolved because of breakthroughs in science and technology. Well then wouldn't it make sense that the very first scientific breakthroughs in this battle against COVID-19 are going to continue to evolve as well. And that over time, is it safe to say that what we knew to be true a year ago when the first vaccine started rolling off the shelves might be completely different from what we know to be true today, a year or two down the road? And yet we find that the megalomedia machine wants us to actually question science because of that evolution. It, it's such an unbelievable disconnect. So you you first talked to me about your understanding of the mRNA technology, right? And 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 what you've explained to me was because of the nature of COVID and how unbelievably urgent we needed to come up with a solution. Most of the big pharmaceutical companies didn't have the luxury of time to go through the normal process of recreating this virus in some dead form like we do the flu vaccine. So they had to do something different. And it was your explanation of what the mRNA technology really is and what it's not. Because I I was scared to death of injecting even the tiniest little bit of COVID into my system. I don't want this. I, I don't want to deal with the unknown of the future of having COVID in my body and what that can mean to me. And the idea of even putting a tiny little bit like the way that flu vaccine works, right? You put dead flu in your body. That scared the bejesus out of me when it came to this. But it was your explanation of what it actually was and what it actually wasn't that really helped me get some clarity on this. What is it? So an mRNA vaccine, mRNA stands for messenger RNA DNA gets copied into or translated and transcribed and translated into something called messenger RNA, which then encodes for the product of that gene, which may be a protein or something else. So what messenger RNA in this case is or represents is a coding or a sequence that will let the cell create a protein that's made on the virus. And then that protein will go up, which is just like it's a structure, the spike protein, right? It has a functional purpose. And it'll be expressed on our own cells so that the immune system, as it's going by, will recognize it and say, oh, there's a foreign invader in our, in our midst, right? We need, to, we need to get the troops going. That's, that's the basic idea. So there's some foreign thing in my body, and it's going to trigger a response Correct. within our body. Within our body. So that way, when the real danger comes in, when tons of COVID viral particles are in the body, we already have the army ready. We're already going to be able to, to fight it. Oh, so these okay. So the mRNA basically creates this artificial response Correct. because it's it's not. I mean, you 
you explain this to me. The mRNA is not actual live COVID virus. Correct. It's artificial. It's been created in a lab. That's right. Which I might assume has allowed us to have a little bit more control over its behavior. Well, and that's that's a key point when I think about my decision to get the vaccine, because I was curious, what is this? What is an mRNA vaccine? You know, it had been in development for at least a decade. So I was nervous. Like, why are we rushing this? Well, how does this work? You know, it's, it sounds like DNA. It sounds like it could affect our cellular genes, but it can't. mRNA is the end price downstream. It can't go backwards and somehow affect our DNA. Okay, I'm going to ask you to, to slow that down for a second yeah. and explain that again. Super simple. Sure. Because like I think we're that fifth is, graders. Because I think <laughs> it's a big misnomer, misunderstanding, is that somehow it can genetically change you. Right. But that's not what I heard you say. No, it, it can't. When we talking cannot, about our, it cannot genetically change you. It cannot genetically change you. Our our genes or our genetics is really encoded in DNA. That's the stable. Those are the instructions for ourselves, for our bodies. So that's the hardwiring. That's the hardwiring. That is in impervious concrete and impenetrable. Impenetrable. <laughs> so that that is not that is not an alterable component. It it is alterable. Like other things can alter our DNA. Radiation, virus, certain viruses can affect how our DNA works. The COVID virus could affect our DNA. Theoretically, I'm not much of an expert on that, but but it could. It, you know, theoretically it could. The mRNA product, the the mRNA particle is what our body like so our body will take the DNA, it'll open up the instructions and it'll copy the DNA from the master sheet onto another sheet. And that's kind of what mRNA is. And then we close up the master copy to keep it protected. Now we've got our notes about what we need to do. And then RNA, it's those instructions, essentially. We have machinery that reads this copy that's now floating around in the cell. Master copy is secured. So every time you open it up, maybe some changes could occur. We don't want to keep it open. We want to lock it away, protect it. RNA is the handwritten notes. And then the cellular machinery says, okay, we're going to build this thing that our, our genes want us to build. In the case of the COVID vaccine, we're asking it to build a protein using all the materials that are inside the cell to, to make something that looks like the spike protein and express it so that our immune system can recognize it. And then it gets degraded. Whatever that, that protein product, the structure that we're taking our mRNA notes and making, that thing gets destroyed. And it's only really expressed in our muscle cells. It's just one area. Because I had worried, was it going everywhere? What what cells, what organ systems could it be you know, distributed to? And it, it creates a very robust immune response so that we have a lot of soldiers ready. You know, that's what I think of the immune system as. That is know. a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're ready. Wow. So there, the cells have been created. So are extra cells in my immune system being created as a result of it? Kind of, yeah. So the immune cells are the, the cells that will identify that area. They'll multiply. So the immune system will will have maybe one cell that can, say, attack the COVID virus or start the process for attacking the COVID virus. And once that cell has been activated by a foreign invader, it's gonna, that cell is going to multiply. So you had one cell that could fight it. Now we, in our immune system, we have immune, certain immune cells that will go from one to, you know, whatever, a thousand or thousands so that they're ready and they're searching around. They're kind of ready in case that invader comes in. That is a very helpful analogy because that concept of calling in more troops into battle, 
I think is something that people can really get their arms around. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. obviously not science. You want to go into well, battle. But, but we've built, I mean, what we've built is an army of scouts that are out in our body looking for what can we go, what, what ass can we go kick, <laughs> right? So assuming COVID comes into our body, this army's already been dispatched. These scouts have already been dispatched through this mRNA to be able to identify it and be prepared and equipped to deal with it. A hundred percent. And that's, so going back to the science, you know, what science is, what do we know from this vaccine? If you get the vaccine, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get co-infected by COVID. It right. means you're just more likely to survive. And, and that's what we're seeing in the hospital. Yeah, you're right going to lose some troops in the war, right? Yeah. I mean, some troops are going to die. Your scouts are going to die. But it's not going to necessarily always lead to a fatal event for you. That's right. That's exactly. We'll lose some ground, but we'll win the war. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a really powerful way to explain it. So once you're vaccinated, and I am vaccinated, and I, too, was on a real journey of whether or not I was going to do it, it was a real struggle for me. I was talking with anybody. I would have enjoyed talking with you about it. I ended up having a conversation at the time with a new client who is a psychiatrist, and he runs a huge county hospital down our way with you know more responsibility than I can think of in 100 lifetimes. <laughs> and at the end of our, our financial call, I said, do you have a few extra minutes? I'm curious about something. And we had the kind of conversation that sounds like the two of you had on, on Matthew's deck, which is to break the science down. Because one of the things that had, and I'm saying it intentionally, been told to me or sold to me was that this is going to be in my body forever, and we are very unclear on what it could do to you. And Mario helped dispel very quickly that when the mRNA, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm repeating something from a while ago, when the mRNA is kind of done doing its job, it goes away. That's right. Number one disbelief in my head was that it could genetically modify my DNA, right? I kind of like my DNA. Yeah, I like your DNA, too. You know, it's kind of, I've gotten used to it, certainly. <laughs> well, you got the gratitude DNA, which is what always drew me to you. Well, that's the G-DNA. Ah, uh, not the, the, the G-R-N-A or the G-D-DNA? <laughs> the G-DNA. Oh, the, nice. Because the that's hardwired, and yeah. it's in a lockbox. <laughs> Thanks, Al Gore. <laughs> Hope he's listening. So the, the concept of it not modifying my DNA, check the box, I'm good. But now... And I don't know why I'm thinking of free radicals, because I don't like the concept of free radicals. But it, it felt like a free radical was then going to be floating around in my body indefinitely. But Mario helped dispel the fact that, no, it will, it will dissipate. That's true. That's accurate. We have, in our cells, we have machinery to degrade mRNA. You know, so anytime we open up our own genes and we use our own mRNA to make you know, a protein or, or some product that, again, our genes code for— when that mRNA is done, when that when we're done with that white sheet of paper that we wrote our notes on, we crush it up and throw it away, send it to the lab. We chop it up, recycle mm -hmm. it. We recycle yeah. it. We don't shred it bin. It. Yeah, yeah, we have a shred it bin in our that's, office. That's we have the machinery. We have the shred it bins wow. inside of our cells. Wow. And the protein over time will not be expressed on the surface of the cell. The other thing, one other point, I you know I don't know if this will help, but it's I'm just sharing my decision process as a physician what I thought about, and, and fully disclosing, I had questions. I had concerns about the mRNA modality for vaccination. And I still wasn't 100% sure. 
I really want to impart that to people. I still wasn't 100% sure. I'm not like, this is the greatest thing ever because it, it's not my relationship with science. I know science isn't truth. It's what am I willing to accept? What's the risk-benefit ratio? That's sure. how yeah. we all physicians think we have to think that way. So then I thought, okay, well, I'm, I understand this a little bit better. The concerns about modifying DNA, persistence of this mRNA product, the robustness of the immunologic response, those things were fairly well answered as much as I can understand it as you know, cardiologists, which you know, we're, you know, we're barely doctors, right, at this point. <laughs> right. Farthest thing from scientists you can be in the medical field. I, I mean, that just, just should be a little M and a little D <laughs> after your name and not a capital, oh, right? of, of course. Absolutely. Little <laughs> M, little D. <laughs> but when I thought about that, I was like, okay, I think I have a handle on the risk. I'm not going to say I knew the risk. I have a handle on it. What's the benefit here? And what are the, other, what are the risks of not taking it? So the, the, the benefit is clear. We think this is going to help. We know now that it decreases the chance that you're going to die from COVID. That's for sure. That was an initial hypothesis that has been demonstrated in the results of the experiment. That's clear. But what are the risks of not taking the vaccine? And I thought to myself, well, what if I get the virus? Okay, I could die. We could spread it. Those are both bad things. But one thing that we don't talk enough about is something known as a post-viral syndrome. It's slightly different, in my opinion, again, not a infectious disease doctor, but it's slightly different from the long hauler concept. Uh, that's, I, was I was just going to ask Just yep. going to ask about that. Okay. That could be what we would describe potentially as a post-acute syndrome. So it's the, you have the acute syndrome, the acute illness that you survive, and then you have continued complications after that, or, you know, sequelae consequences after that as part of the initial infection. One of the things I wonder about is, are people going to develop you know, some un unknown response to COVID down the line. Little secret about physician community. Have you ever had somebody say that's oh, probably a virus? Right? Yes. Common cold, it probably is. But I see a lot of things that I can't explain. Very unusual diseases. They may not be life-threatening, but they can be debilitating. And we often say, well, it's maybe due to some virus. We don't have clear causal proof that certain viruses cause these long, th these effects later on. And they're often in the neurologic system. They're often in the joints. They're often under a category of disease known as autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. So even in the physician world, we're like, yeah, I don't know what that is. That's a weird constellation of findings. It's definitely something. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's viral. So I, I, I say that a lot. Like, I'm not sure what that is. Could it have been a virus? So virus is sometimes almost a catch-all when you're not sure. Generally, if it's unexplainable you're defaulting to the idea that it's some form of viral infection, some right. virus-living organism in you. And going back to science talk, it's not necessarily because I truly believe that it's the consequence of a virus. It's just that we actually don't really understand the biology of viruses like we do bacteria or fungi. Those are, those are cells. Those are easier to understand. Viruses are very unusual organisms, and they're tricky. That's why we don't have, like, like antibiotics are really for bacteria. There's, an antibiotic is not for a viral infection. Right, right. We don't have... I was always frustrated when the kid would come home, one of our kids would come home from the pediatrician because I wanted him to have a prescription, damn it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, now it's a virus. Yeah, you got to kind of... I had the opposite frustration. Hyd hydrate, you got to... My Chicken noodle soup, whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it just, oh, Supported really? Care. Come on. It used to drive me crazy when they'd come home with a prescription and they were diagnosed with a virus. Because, I mean, this was some basic biology I even understood, was that antibiotics are not antiviral medication. They're antibiotics. They're antibacterial medication. That was always very frustrating. 
and look at the two of the models of viral disease that we have we actually have treatment for now HIV and hepatitis C I mean that took decades of research to get to the point that we could figure out a way, that scientists could figure out a way to clear hepatitis C virus from the body to maybe not clear HIV but you know mitigate its consequences so that people would live normal lives and you know, they probably say you don't die from HIV, you die with HIV. Yeah. You know, and that those are huge success stories, but it's so hard to come up with viral treatment. So they're tricky. And the concern I have is what if all you know, I get COVID and I have some weird, unexpected post viral syndrome. I suspect that, you know, for physicians in my age range and, and the ones coming behind me, that we're gonna have a career of registries and things where we're saying, Well, I don't know, maybe that was COVID. They, maybe new diseases are unexplainable stuff. Unexplainable stuff, and there probably won't be a way to prove that. We so may have to say maybe it was COVID. Therefore, if if I'm going to distill what you're saying a little bit, therefore, being vaccinated versus unvaccinated and potentially having COVID, the the risk of that was greater to you than the unknown risk of being vaccinated. Perfect. That's exactly right. Because that's exactly where I got to, and I know Matthew got to, yeah. was that we, in our work world, we are risk managers, right? We are constantly, much like you said, you, you disprove that your colleagues have to go take the theory that you've, to this point, proven, and now disprove it. That's what we do in our scientific lab, uh, which is with a client's financial plan, we have to break it. We have to disprove that what they've come in with works, and this construct works, and we have to go blow it up. Yeah. Even when we build a financial plan for somebody and it's successful and we can get as close to believing the probability of positive outcome is there, we then take them through a process of showing them how we break it. Like, OK, now our, now that we know you're in a, in a good financial position and you've got all the probabilities behind you saying that this thing's going to work, let's play with this thing until we can break it. Let's Let's put enough financial stress on the plan by looking at things like inflation and social security and if you need long-term care one day and and where does this thing actually break? And and we force that into the conversation so clients know where that breaking point is. And in that risk manager kind of mindset, it became clear for both of us in our in our own time, in our own timelines, when we were to the point where it's like the risk of having COVID and the long-term consequence of that is greater than the unknown risk of taking the vaccine, particularly when it was explained to me, as I've said, that it's not going to change my DNA and it's eventually going to just kind of, you know, the, their, their job is done. Going in the shredded bin. And the shredded bin is, is being used. So that's a really helpful way to think about it, I think, in a very non-sciencey way. The other thing that was shared with me that I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on is that the actual underlying technology itself – in the context of how we say everything's happening for us and not to us. This particular doctor that I was talking with said that this is a technology that has been around, but there has never been the funding available to push this thing across the finish line to get it to where it was a acceptable method of delivering solutions to medical problems, in this case, pandemic virus. He then went on to say that he is very hopeful and very excited about the fact that this could be groundbreaking technology for diseases like cancer, 
for diseases like Alzheimer, once well, Alzheimer's disease, once they're able to cross the blood-brain barrier. And I get the chills just talking about that. Yeah. Because here we're going through the most horrific pandemic that we've that we've seen since in a hundred years. And when we say stuff like this is happening for us, I You're can't crazy. tell you the number <laughs> of people that look at me and I'm like, no, we don't have the perspective. We don't have the time and the perspective to be able to look at this 10 or 20 years down the road because we are in the eye of the bleeping hurricane. And 600 plus thousand mm-hmm. people have died and millions of family members have been affected. Just in the United States. Right. I mean, globally, this I mean, this thing has hurt a lot, a lot of people. So it's hard to have that conversation and about I, how this didn't happen to us. How did it happen for us? And I get it. And what I challenge them on is the fact that there are things like this very technology that could actually save you, me, Ace, everybody in this room from you know a future disease because of this technology and the advent that it is creating today. Well, and, and before you comment on that, I want to add one more little anecdotal piece to this. We've often talked on the show about our good friend Bo Eason. Bo is a, a coach we work with. He's a dear friend of ours. He attended a medical conference because he's he's getting to the point in his life where you know, he's 60 years old. He wants his body to be able Had to move. Had a lot of concussions. Yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. A, he played in the NFL for a lot of years, so so the head's been banged up a little bit. So he's very, very in tune and very interested in all sorts of brain injury, longevity kinds of questions. So he goes off to the Sundance Resort in Utah uh, last fall, attends a conference. He's the only person in the room who's not a medical doctor. But he was so intrigued by the information he heard was going to be shared. So Bo comes back to, from this conference after four days, and we ask the question, what's the biggest takeaway you got from the conference? And what he said was not what I expected. He said the biggest takeaway was, don't die in the next five years. Mm. Could you explain that, please? And, and what he went on to share with us is, look, there, there was obviously a lot of good stuff, but the rate at which medical technology is accelerating— over the next five years, we're going to start seeing medical technologies like this mRNA technology that could radically change the human experience with things like cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, different autoimmune diseases. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, what do you see as how this this crazy, horrific COVID experience could have possibly happened for us and for humanity's sake going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a very challenging but important question. Obviously, from what we had talked about previously and how I live my life, I have to look for these silver linings, these gratitude things, especially when something is so devastating and immense as this with all the people that have died and all the people that are suffering. But I have to try to, I can't just focus on that, right? And there is this really amazing possibility. Anytime new medical technology comes out, there's a very long process to evaluate it, make sure it's safe, test it, clinical trials, all those things. And that's important. You know, I don't think that we should ever get away from that. But we have this experience that we've never had with any other medical technology ever where lots of people are getting it. And we really will see, again, going through mining you know, there maybe there'll be selected groups of people who have 
conditions like cancer or and I this is just speculation. I know nothing about this. It's just thinking about this, you know, from a medical standpoint. Maybe we'll identify, you know, 100 people who have this disease somehow they didn't get COVID and or they didn't die from COVID, but they also had an alleviation of their disease or something was affected or we've always wanted to try to get this therapy into these group these people, but we've never been able to do it. And this offers a delivery vehicle, right? Cuz most Drugs, when you ingest them, they, they get absorbed, they go into the bloodstream, they have a certain concentration, they get to the area that they need to get to, they activate a receptor, they get to areas we don't want them to get to, right? The, the side effects mm-hmm. of drugs is mm-hmm. mostly because uh, we're, putting in, we're putting something into the body and it gets to areas that we don't intend it to. And we can't control that, right? If it goes in, it goes in. It's in your bloodstream. Gets but this mixed stuff's up. super specific. This has, stuff doesn't do that. It has the potential as we evolve to really get super specific. They'll oftentimes call this concept. It may not be totally applicable to the this mRNA technology, but this concept is targeted therapy. So for cancer, targeted therapy is a real major paradigm. Name We're, of the game. Name of the game. Name of the, and, and that was not the case 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So it's just a rapid, like you, you nailed it. It's accelerating. Medical technology advances is accelerating. And we'll see what happens with this mRNA vaccine and how it could you know, even accelerate us even further, that there's so many possibilities for non-infectious disease, you know, that, that it's exciting to think about from that perspective. Now, clearly the, the major role for it will be infectious disease. You know, I was talking with a colleague yesterday, and I, she mentioned to me that they had already used this technology for Ebola vaccinations, which that's, that's not a virus. You know, that's like the worst one, right, mm-hmm. that I know of. And they've already used it for that, for a very high-risk, very transmissible disease. So wow. it's already been applied, you know, even prior to all of this discussion. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That might be helpful for people to know. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that, wow. That it's it's being used for one of the worst viruses ever known. Oh, oh my God. Absolutely. That's fascinating. But there's something I kind of wanted to say to the people who are thinking about the vaccine and, and just all of us in general, I think we're speaking to each other very poorly. And the experience of somebody who may have a different view than I do or than the scientists do, I think needs to be respected. And I think it's an opportunity to really engage people about this. Cause I, I think about how I would feel if I had a different relationship with science, if I thought that the scientists had the truth and that's what they do. And they told me something and I, believe them. I abdicated that, okay, the scientists know, I believe you. And then it changed. I would feel betrayed. I would feel angry. I would feel there's three possibilities. You didn't, you lied to me. You didn't know what you were doing, which is probably the most accurate one, or you're part of some conspiracy to control me. So it's very understandable to me why people, at least from the way I see the world, why somebody could think the way that they do. Sure. And I just, you know, I don't think we should be hammering people over the head to get the vaccine and shaming people. I just think it's, we have a different understanding of things. And if we thought about science, you know, I think if people thought about science the way I think about science, the decision would, would not be so confusing. But I understand why they do. So I well, just wanted to put that out there. And that's why we brought you here, dude. I mean, we, one of the things we, we really are proud of what we do and what you do is this realization that people grow up where they grow up. They grow up with the influences they have. They see the world differently. They have different lenses with which they see the world through. And part of what I know I've always tried to do whenever I engage with another human being is even if we grew up diametrically opposed to how we see the world, I have this genuine curiosity 
of trying to understand how you see the world and where that came from. Because what that does is it creates a human connection that goes beyond beliefs and geography and religion and mom and dad and, and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and it connects us in a way where we are more similar than we are different. I mean, everything you've described and everything we've ever talked about, about the differences in how we see the world, to me, boils down to geography, right? It just the luck of the draw of where you're born and who you're born to, right? The country you're born in, the county you're born in, the, the part of the world you're born in, and whether you were born to one parent, two parents, eight parents, all of that has real foundational impact on, on how you're going to see the world. And to think that we have the power to change what those filters are and how people see them is just an unrealistic expectation to have. It's, it's just not going to happen. So if the main message coming out of these couple of episodes is just you know sharing some information as we, as we understand it, maybe helping people who've been on the fence a little bit about some decisions they need to make, but also about creating that conversation of trying to understand more than just being understood. Oh yeah. And and how that creates a human connection. Boy, that talk about being intentional with your relationships with people. Awesome stuff. Well, Rishi, the gratitude I have for you is huge. Dr. Rishi Menon, board certified cardiologist, a man who has lived as human a life as one could ever expect to have. I'm incredibly grateful you you came in today, opened up your heart to us, shared your life journey, your journey in financial sobriety. We have this incredible relationship, the trust I have with you, and being able to share that with our financial sobriety community. I mean, you've helped me make some of the most important medical decisions in the last 10 years of my life that, I, that I've ever had to make. And, and it all boils down to trust and relationship and, and being able to understand what somebody's sharing with me. So I am super grateful you were here today, brother. It was awesome. I can't wait to have a donut with you. Oh, yeah. Let's get a donut. Thank you for being here. You bet. And with that, brother, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.